Bible uh, that I'm going to expound upon. And so if you're at home, you may want to uh, just sit with your kids or have them go into another room because we're going to be talking about some things which many of them uh, are being faced with if they go to public schools as pertains to gender identity and sexuality. So the Bible addresses everything. And I'm going to do my best with the help of the Holy Spirit to do so with tact as we talk about these things that plague our culture and above all to do so in love. So I pray that anyone who uh, may already have shields up because of what we're going to talk about today will put those shields down and let the Holy Spirit saturate. If you don't know the Lord, I pray that today would be the day that you meet him. If you do know the Lord, I pray that we would remain and abide in him and, and receive from him what we need today. And, and, and take mental notes or actual notes because there may be someone you may need to talk to on your job, a family member, because this may not be your thing, but I promise you it's someone else's thing around you. Um, and so, yes, yes, yes. So Genesis chapter 1, I'll start reading at verse... 26. I gave you time to find it. If you have it, can you say amen? amen. Are y'all ready? Yes. Are y'all ready? Yes. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> ah, Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man or mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So with your prayers and, of course, with the help of the Holy Spirit, let me speak this morning on the subject of God made them male and female. God made them male and female. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you are with us. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is near. Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you said, I will not leave you as orphans, for I will come to you and I will take up residence in you. And you went away and sent the Holy Spirit to not only be with us, but to be in us. The spirit of sonship and daughtership, the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you brought us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Thank you, Lord, that whereas we once were blind, now we see. 
Once we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but you have made us alive in Christ Jesus. And if anyone be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are becoming new. Lord, give us new revelation this morning with a familiar portion of Scripture. Give us new insight today. Help us to be encouraged with how although life can get chaotic, you still stay together. You still stay strong. You are still the rock that will not roll. You are the God who changes not. And that includes your love for us. Your love never changes. You will never love us anymore, and you surely will not love us any less. And if we ever wonder, we look at that cross, and we see love personified in the person of your son Jesus, who died in the place of our sins. And we thank you. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, touch our life. Amen and amen. Thank you, God. God made them male and female. The Bible, as we just read, gives us God's definitive blueprint for the family and human sexuality. Amen, somebody? What we just read from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, the Bible gives us God's definitive blueprint for the family and human sexuality. So let God be true and everyone else a liar. And we say that in love and in humility. And if there's any confusion about the family, if there's any confusion about human sexuality, it's not on God's part. It's on our part, and there's a reason for that, so stick with me. Specifically, the book of Genesis presents the big picture of the creation account in chapter 1. In chapter 1, when God creates the world and the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the creeping things and all those things, this is the big picture of creation. He creates male and female in his image. So a woman is made in the image of God, a man is made in the image of God, giving both dignity, purpose, and value, and the capacity to create, to, to communicate with their creator. So it's a beautiful thing to be made in the image of God because animals were not made in the image of God, but humans, mankind, we were made, we are made in the image, the imago Dei. Of God, So everyone, whether that person knows the Lord or doesn't know the Lord, there is intrinsic and inherent value in each person ever born. Amen. That's the good news. So, so, so Genesis 1 gives this big picture of creation. Then Genesis chapter 2 gives us a more detailed or close-up picture specifically of Adam and Eve's establishment how they came into being. So in chapter 1, let us make man. He made them male and female. In chapter 2, it gives us a close-up on how God did it in time and space. And at the end of creation week, God said that everything was very good. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. Now, up to this point, everything was good. He created sun, moon, and stars. It's good. He created the animals. It's good. He created the firmament. It's good. But after he created man and woman in his image and manifested them in different ways, bringing Adam from the dust of the ground and Eve from the side of Adam, God then looked at creation because man became the crown jewel of creation. And God said, it is very good. Not just good, but he said, it is very good. And very good includes Adam and Eve existing as male and female. Very good. Adam and Eve existing as male and female. Adam and Eve existing as husband and wife. Very good. And Adam and Eve existing as heterosexually compatible beings. Very good. Very good. So the picture, the big picture, the close-up, they are very good. However, uh, however, once Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating the forbidden fruit, falling into sin, God's design for mankind, the family, and human sexuality became extremely distorted and deeply compromised. The very first thing that was noticeably and negatively affected when Adam and Eve sinned was their sexuality. If you don't believe me, go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Everything is very good. But once they sinned. The Bible says their eyes were open. And rather than recognizing that they died spiritually, because God told them that the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. So spiritually, they were separated from life and God right when they ate from that tree and disobeyed God's command. But rather than recognizing that they were away from God first, they first recognized that they were naked. Look at Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, in a minute, they're going to be hiding from God because of the shame that sin brings. In a couple of weeks, we'll talk about the futility of religion. Religion wants to make fig leaves to deal with our guilt, as opposed to trusting uh, uh, the sacrifice of the lamb, the sacrifice, the bloodshed of God. Uh, but religion wants to trust in uh, 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 things and systems and works of man. And so before they even hid from God, they looked at each other and they realized they were naked because chapter 2 closes 
with Adam saying, good gugamugga. Uh, in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, uh, Adam is like, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. They're having a good time running around in the Garden of Eden, paradise, literally. But once sin came, what was once very good sexually became very shameful. It became very selfish. It became very confusing, very consuming very destructive, very painful even, and even very deadly. Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, a quick survey of the book of Genesis alone proves that Adam and Eve, their humanity as well as their sexuality became grossly distorted and marred, and everyone who descends from them have inherited a distorted and marred humanity and sexuality. And once sin comes into the world, not only does death come, many times anything else comes with it that is destructive. And just looking through Genesis, we see this. We see bigamy in chapter 4 and chapter 16 of Genesis. Bigamy, a man having two wives. We see polygamy. In Genesis 25, 28, and 29, three chapters, we find polygamy, where a man has more than two wives and has multiple wives. We see lewdness in Genesis chapter 6 and in Genesis chapter 9. We see, God forbid, we see rape in Genesis chapter 34. We read of a man lusting for a woman in Genesis chapter 34. We read of a woman lusting for a man in Genesis chapter 39. We read of incest in Genesis chapter 19 and chapter 35. We see sodomy and homosexuality in Genesis chapter 19. We see prostitution in Genesis chapter 38. We read of fornication in Genesis chapter 36. And then there's infertility in Genesis chapter 11, 25, and 29. And there's even mention of a menstrual cycle in Genesis chapter 31. And I'm here to let you say that none of those things were supposed to be a part of God's original design when he said everything is very good. Some of the sisters should have said, Lord, I don't know whether to say amen or... <laughs> you see, um, Melody Aguayo in our church and Harold Lurcius and other folks in our church who work with people's bodies, um, they like to put them on a diet plan and, 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 you know, get them working and holding them accountable, but they like to take before and after pictures. They take a picture of you of what you look like now, you know, <laughs> raggedy, shabby, shoddy, flabby, out of shape, all those things, right? And then after you get into the program, you know, and you start getting better and looking trim and all that stuff, then they put up the after picture to show people what you were like before and what you are now after. Because usually in, in those kinds of situations, after is always better than before. But in this particular case, as it pertains to human sexuality and identity, before was better 
than what came after. You see, we all live in after. And as a result, we all have a marred sexuality to go with a marred humanity. It's like looking at a blurred picture of yourself. You ever looked at a picture of yourself and it was blurred? You see, before we had the phones, we had cameras, you know. We had actual cameras and, and, and Polaroids and things like that. We had to take them to the grocery store and let them run your stuff off, you know, and you come back in five days. And, you know, so, so before you could just, oh, I don't like it, delete it, you had to look at blurred pictures. Some of y'all got <laughs> uh, photo albums with blurred pictures in them. Oh, that's your Uncle Jerome right there. That's Jerome. That looks like Uncle Stanley. Wait a minute, hold on. That is Uncle Stanley. In other words, you, you can see it, but you really can't see it because it's blurred. <laughs> or the picture is warped because of age. And when you think about humanity, you know, we're, we're all blurred. The image of God is still upon us, but it's warped. It's blurred. We're, we're, we're kind of born needing a front-end alignment. You ever had a car and it needs a front-end alignment because it pulls too much to the left or pulls too much to the right? So you got to take it somewhere for them to fix it so that you can drive forward and drive straight. Well, when we were born, we weren't born driving straight. We were born going this way to the left or going this way to the right. Uh, the word iniquity means bent that we were all born bent or broken, that we were all even born bent a little bit too much this way with a struggle and a, 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 a proclivity towards this kind of sin or this kind of stronghold or this kind of matter. Some of us are born and we pull this way. And, and here's the thing. Some of us pull a little more towards things than others because environment has a lot to do with it. Uh, uh, our family tree has a lot to do with it because some of us are living under generational curses when we were born. So there are many things that factor in to, to our bents. But don't get it twisted. Everybody's born with a bent. And just because you bend differently than I do, that doesn't give me the right to judge you or look down on you. Because we're all broken. We all have a bent. We all are in need of an alignment. And this is why we all have sexual struggles of some kind. The first thing noticeably affected was their sexuality. And there was shame that entered in. And so all of us have inherited from them not only a sin nature, if you will, but also a broken sexuality. Listen to this. I, I got permission before I say this. I am, by the grace of God, a man of God. I am a man of God by the grace of God. Like Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am a man of God. But I also had a 70-year-old man remind me many years ago. He said, young man, you are a man of God, but you are still a man. I don't know if y'all ready this morning. I don't know if y'all ready. Uh, 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 being a preacher doesn't <laughs> negate the fact that you are still a man, redeemed yet still fallen. A man who's born again but still in process. I am a man of God. You know, when you're a man of God, you got to say it like, you know, I'm a man of God. 
You know, you, mm, you know, gotta put that holy sound on it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you're still a man. You're still a dude. You're still a bruh. Which means I struggle with being attracted to women. Woo! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk to my wife. Got permission before I, I preach this section right here, son. Amen. Now listen, y'all remember the movie Ray? Jamie Foxx played Ray Charles, and I've never read a biography about Ray, but the movie he shared a lot. And you got a blind man who still struggled <laughs> with women. And, and he would talk to women, and he would feel their wrist and all this kind of stuff. So, so uh, you know, I know our eyes get us in trouble quite a bit, but you can be blind. Curtis, are you with me? You, you, Curtis said, man, Pastor, don't, don't ask me for no amen right now. Uh, 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 <laughs> because God, and I will talk about this perhaps, God created men as eye creatures. When Adam saw Eve, that's when he began to get excited and said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So men are made by God to be attracted by what we see. We're eye creatures. Eve, on the other hand, was there, and she was aroused by how she was made to feel because he's exclaiming over her, and she begins to feel safe, secure, and loved. And nine times out of ten, that's how, again, how God wires us. Women love to hear it and feel it. Men love to see it. Uh, 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 Last week, last week, uh, I watched the verses with Earth, Wind, and Fire and the Osley Brothers. You know, because I love the Earth, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, I got a few Osley Brother jams. You know, I respect them. But apparently, women all over the nation was going crazy off Ron Osley's salt and pepper beard. But it just wasn't the beard, it was the way he was working the cane and the suit and the way he was hitting the high notes. He was hitting them notes. (laughs) And it was hitting them sisters' ears and and they going crazy over a 79-year-old dude. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So, So I'm a man of God, but I'm still a man. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, each of us as Christians need to know how to possess our vessel. In other words, you got to practice uh, uh, discipline, and, and you got to practice how to be godly with your eyes. I fail, I succeed, I struggle, I have victory. I'll deal with this until I die. But sisters, uh, Mara, someone else is a woman of God, but you still struggle with being attracted to men. And, and listen, and you can be married. Because once you get married, that doesn't mean all of a sudden you've been stripped of uh, uh, the, the temptation to look at men and women. Mm-hmm. See, the church, not this church, but other churches, <laughs> they're holier than thou. So that when we have struggle, we don't feel like we can talk to people Because we feel less than. We feel like something's wrong with us. But there's something wrong with all of us. There are others who, he's a man of God, but listen to this. He may not struggle with being attracted to women. He struggles with being attracted to men. Again, we don't don't get into that too much, right? 
But he loves God. He's born again. But he was either born with a bit or born in an environment or there is our generational curses or satanic attack or, or there is exposure at an early age because of molestation and rape. And, and so a young child is open up to things and set on a trajectory that he will have to deal with the rest of his life. And the same thing happens to sisters. That they're trying to overcorrect this thing that keeps going this way or keeps going that way. And internally they are struggling. They know that Jesus cares, but does the church care? This is real. This is real. Being a Christian doesn't mean you won't struggle anymore. It means you don't have to struggle alone anymore. My God. He won't leave you when you struggle. He'll get closer to you when you struggle. He is a friend of sinners. And I am saved and he's made me a saint positionally, but like Paul said in Romans chapter 7, oh wretched man that I am. So I still see my wretchedness even though I'm righteous by the grace of God. There's a struggle every day. And, and, and let me just throw this in for free. You don't have to put anything extra in the offering box when you leave. <laughs> Today I'm dealing with this, you know, sexuality and gender. But let's not elevate this above gluttony. I love chaos. Let's not elevate this over envy and jealousy and pride and unforgiveness and materialism. You know. But this was the first thing noticeably affected when they fell. And usually when Paul gives you lists of sins in the Gospels, he usually starts with these sexual ones at the top. They're at the top of the charts. So let me keep on rolling. Being a Christian means that I don't have to struggle alone anymore. It also means that you can have victory in places where you've only known defeat. Okay? Struggle doesn't mean I haven't had victories. I've had victories because some of the places I used to go, man, some of the things I used to do, some of the things I used to say, but I'm still in process. Mm -hmm. And he's with me, walking with me. I love these hymns. The great hymn, There's Not a Friend Like the Lowly Jesus, says, There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else can heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide until the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. He'll guide you. Our soul has diseases. We have struggles. But there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Romans 8, 22 through 24 confirms that when Paul says, For we know that the whole creation groans. Watch this now. When Adam and Eve fell, so did creation, the world. So, 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 so the world has been groaning ever since they disobeyed God groaning to be recreated when Jesus makes a new heaven and a new earth. So creation is groaning, and so creation is decaying. Creation is not as beautiful as it was when God said it's very good. And so creation, the Bible says, is groaning and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, Paul says, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, 
even we ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For just as the earth wants a new body, we want a new body. We're craving for that. We're groaning for that, is what he says. We're eagerly waiting for the redemption of the body. For we were saved, he said, in this hope. So, so that's part of our hope, that what I am, I will not always be. That this corruptible will put on what? Incorruption. And that doesn't mean he doesn't deliver. But let's stop saying that deliverance is when God zaps you and you never struggle again. There are some people, not everybody, not most of us, who will testify, man, I smoke two packs of cigarettes every day. Man, I had to have a cigarette when I got up. I had to have a cigarette at night. But one day the Lord just delivered me and I never had a desire for nicotine after smoking for 40 years. Uh, uh, Deacon Charles may have that testimony. And, and praise God, but most of us, deliverance is not a zap. Deliverance is a process of getting closer and closer to Jesus. The Bible says when we have fellowship with the Lord, we walk with him in the light, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So when we have fellowship with God, we're walking, we're in the light, which speaks of righteousness. But if I'm walking with God and I'm being righteous, why do I need the blood? You need the blood because it's only in the light that you can see your sin, <laughs> and you need the blood because the closer you get to Jesus, the more aware you become of how unlike him you really are. So you need blood, you need mercy, you need grace. So let a person who thinks he's standing and take heed lest he fall. In other words, we're not all that. On our best day, we're not all that. We're broken. But he won't leave us. And he's redeeming the body. Colossians 1.19 uh, and, and 20 says, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself. He's reconciling all things, including our humanity and sexuality. So those who will struggle here just know he's reconciling and will reconcile. Ah. Psalm 130, verses 7 through 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, thank you, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Did you see them tenses there? That, that we got eternal redemption right now, and he shall redeem Israel. He shall redeem his people. So I got it now, and I shall get it. In other words, I'm saved now, but I'll be saved later. I've been justified now, and I'll be glorified later. You, 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 see that? you see how it works? Salvation is past, present, and future. And it's all by grace. We work with God, and hopefully not against God, and grieve his spirit. But we do. But he doesn't leave us. In her book, Gay Girl, Good God, Jackie Hill Perry writes, it is important to note that sexual abuse is not what made me gay, nor did fatherlessness. They only exaggerated and helped direct the path for what was already there, which was sin. She writes later, if only I could just be straight and lay aside my homosexuality, God would accept me and call me his own. That's what I used to think. 
This delusion was the belief that only one aspect of my life was worthy of judgment, while the rest deserved heaven. That my other vices were, quote unquote, not as bad. They were just struggles that I had to work on instead of repenting. So she's saying, it wasn't up to me. I couldn't fix it. I tried. Or I just thought that this was the only thing about me that God was displeased with. And she realized God was displeased with other areas in her life. Because we all fall short, not just in this area, but in every area. Now listen to this. I can affirm you in your struggle. Yeah, yeah, I can affirm you in your struggle because I struggle too. I can't judge you because what you struggle with may be different than what I struggle with. I can affirm you in your struggle, but I cannot affirm you in your desire to reject, deny, or alter the biblical plan of God. Can I say it one more time? I, I, I can affirm you in your struggles because we all are struggling with something. We'll struggle till we die. But I can't affirm you if you desire to, to try to reject Deny or even alter, twist the scriptures to make it support a lifestyle or a belief system that goes against God. I can't affirm you there. In the book of Isaiah, it says, woe to them who call right wrong and wrong right. I, I, I can't. There's a standard that I live by. Genesis 1 says that God created humanity as male and female. There are no other biblically acceptable options available. I'm talking to Christians. Unbelievers, they're going to do what they do. But we got to be careful not to let that leaven or that teaching creep into the church, whereby we are adding letters and derivatives of the human sexual experience that God never did. So, so, so that means we're not going to be popular with a lot of people. That means no matter how loving we speak and how careful and gracious we share, we'll still be accused of being homophobic or bashing queer people or hating transgender people. No, we are people who follow God and we believe that God's word has stood the test of time. Because all flesh is like grass. We're going to decay and go away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And God's ideal was here before the 70s revolution of the sex revolution. God's word and his standard was here. And it didn't change as we're now in this era where people are testing various sexual identity um, positions. And somebody would say, well, 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 Pastor Chris, I hear you, but that's the Old Testament, man. You know, we're not under the Old Testament anymore. You quote in Genesis 1, uh, uh, that's Old Testament, Pastor Chris. That's old school, man. And by the way, Jesus didn't talk about this stuff. So therefore, love, love, love means you just accept anything and everything I want to do. Well, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, 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 let's go back to the Bible. And let's go back to the words of Jesus, because a lot of people want to emphasize things uh, uh, that Jesus never said, 
or they want to twist things that he did say. But when we read the Bible, the plain sense makes sense. When that happens, seek no other sense. So when the plain sense makes sense, man, seek no other sense. So, so what did Jesus have to say? Go to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to see what Jesus had to say. Uh-huh. Yeah, because he never preached on homosexuality. You're right. He never preached specifically on homosexuality. And just because he didn't preach specifically on homosexuality, that doesn't mean he doesn't have a stand on that issue. Stick with me. Stick with me. I hope I didn't lose you. Matthew 19, beginning at verse 4. And he, Jesus, answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the what? At the what? At the beginning, made them what? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So the Pharisees come to Jesus trying to trap him on his views of divorce. Because at that time, there were two schools or two extremes of divorce, um, led by two different rabbis. That was Rabbi Shema, who believed that there was no divorce for any reason whatsoever. And then there was Rabbi Hillel, who believed that you could divorce for any and every reason. So there was, quote unquote, conservatives on one side and liberals on the other side and Jesus in the middle. And they were trying to trap him because if he went this way or that way, the other side would bash him. And Jesus is too smart to be tricked by political preachers. And the first thing Jesus says is, have you not read? Which means now he is saying that We've got to deal with objective truth, which is biblical truth. Have you not read? Which means he's going back to Genesis. Have you not read the Bible? I hear your opinion. I hear what these uh, uh, rabbis are saying. But what does God have to say? So Jesus is laying a foundation for objective truth, biblical truth, not subjective truth that changes, you know, like the wind but objective truth that does not change because God does not change, and this kind of truth comes from God. So objective truth is a standard. You see, Jesus is about to tell us what he stands for. He's about to tell us what he stands for. They're coming to talk about divorce. Jesus, what do you stand for? Number one, I stand for objective biblical truth. Number two, he stands for a sovereign creator because he said that he who made them. So Jesus believes in a sovereign creator. He doesn't believe that we evolved. He believes that God spoke us into existence. How does he know? Because he was there assisting in the process. The triune God said, let us make man. The spirit hovered over the waters. Colossians says that everything that has been created was created by Jesus. And so Jesus, the father, the spirit, they are the creators of all things. So, so what does he stand for? Biblical truth a sovereign creator, he also stands for the Genesis account of creation, which is seven literal days. That's what Jesus believed in. And if Jesus believed in that, then I believe in that. 
Another thing he believed in was male and female gender distinctions. That's what he says. He affirmed what Genesis said, what we just read. God has preserved his word for thousands of years. What we just read, Jesus read in his time, and he's quoting back to the time of Moses. He didn't have the original autographs. He's referring to copies and scrolls, just like we are today. And it's still fully authoritative, even though we don't have the original writing of Moses. But the copies are authoritative. Jesus referred to male and female. And Jesus didn't make room for anything else. So, Pastor, how do you know what Jesus is against? I know what he's for. He doesn't have to come out talking about what he's against. He tells us what he's for. But many times, Christians, we're known more for what we're against than what we're for. So we don't have to get caught up in all of the latest this and that. Man, more stuff is going to keep coming. We got to stand up for the truth and not always just be against everything and everybody all the time. Man, you can't keep up. But what are you for, Christian? I am for male and female gender distinctions. I am for, according to Jesus, the sanctity of the institution of marriage. That's what he says. God made the male and female, joined them together. What God put together, let no man put asunder, which also means he believes in heterosexual relations in a lasting monogamous marriage. These are things Jesus believes in. So when people start asking, well, what about this? What did Jesus say? Jesus didn't talk about that. So I'm not going to make much about the things he said little about. And I'm not going to make little about the things he said much about. Yeah. You know, we, we, we just, uh, we, 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 we develop these arguments. But it's really clear, if we want it to be clear, and by knowing what Jesus is for, we can surmise what he is against. He is against unbiblical divorce. I said unbiblical divorce. Not divorcees. He's against unbiblical divorce, not divorcees. He loves divorcees. But some people come from places where divorcees feel like that is the unpardonable sin. That's not the unpardonable sin. Jesus is against adultery, not adulterers. He proved that in John 8 when they wanted to stone the woman caught in adultery, but they only had her, not the dude. And they wanted her blood to be on Jesus' hands, again, trying to trap him. And Jesus says, if any of you are without sin, y'all throw the first stone. Because everybody has struggles. And as he's writing in the ground, he might have been writing their name and what they were doing last night or early that morning. And they had to walk away. So he loved on an adulterer, or an adulteress, even though he hates adultery. He is against fornication, not fornicators. He is against homosexuality, not homosexuals. He is against transgenderism, not transgender people. We got to get this in our spirit. <clears throat> so that people can meet the Lord. And again, not that coming to the Lord is going to fix it. And you'll never have a desire again. We'll never struggle. No, 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 no. Again, you have somebody that's going to walk with you. And you may struggle till the day you die. Because here's the deal. 
I see attractive women, but I don't act on it. Mm -hmm. My wife sees attractive men, and as far as I know, she don't act on it. <laughs> you can be tempted to do something, to look somewhere, to go somewhere, but that doesn't mean you have to do it because we have strength in us that allows us to say no. So a person who has these internal desires that are bent or tilted this way or that way, they may deal with that till they die. Jesus may not, again, zap them of that. But they don't have to act on it because Jesus is with you and in you giving you power to say no. And a, listen, and a desire to say no. You know how the Bible says he works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure? You ever did that thing again that like, man, I can't believe I did that again. I, I can't believe I ate that ice cream again uh, right before bed. I'm supposed to stop doing that. You know I'm lactose intolerant. I shouldn't be doing that. And you do that. And again, when you're a Christian, you can't disobey and feel good about it. And God will say, come on, man, let, let, let's do better. Turn this around, man. And there are men with pornography. And you've had all the filters and things on your computer, but you find a way to find that site. And after you look, you're empty, you're grieved, you're upset. You know what? That's a good thing. Because if you can do it and not feel any remorse, you might need to check yourself. And he does that with all of us. Your attitude, you rolled your eyes. Holy Ghost ever talked to you about rolling eyes or, or Holy Ghost ever talked, like not waving at people. I'm walking and stuff. And I don't feel like waving. I'm walking in my neighborhood trying to get my exercise on and people riding by. I don't feel like, wait, wait a minute now. They know you're a Christian in the neighborhood. Why don't you show some love, bro? I don't feel like, okay, Lord. Mm -hmm. He'll talk to you. Ah! I hope this is getting through. So as I close this message, to be clear, I strongly oppose how some Christians have seditiously injured LGBTQ people in ways that deny the image of God in them. Man, I, I, I feel bad about that. I strongly oppose. I, I think of things I used to say in the past to people that I knew was this way or that way. and It wasn't a lot of love of Jesus. I, I was bashing them with the Bible. And I regret those days. But as you grow older, though, and as you become more aware of your own proclivities and shortcomings, again, he that loveth much uh, forgives much and has been forgiven much and can forgive. And so you have more mercy for people because you know that but by the grace of God, that could be you. DMX passed away. And Christians are debating whether or not he knew the Lord and None of us really know who is a Christian. The only people we know is a Christian is us, right? So when we get to heaven, we're all going to be shocked. Because there's going to be people there you didn't think would make it there. And then there are going to be people not there that you thought was going to be there. But the question is, do you have your ticket for the J train? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Examine yourself, you know? But when I hear that man pray, I'm like, I believe this is my brother. He had struggles like 
All of us. And, and if you know his story, a lot of times we judge and we don't know stories. That he was handed a laced joint when he was young by an old guy that he looked up to. And the young guy's trying to imitate the older guys, and he hands him a marijuana uh, uh, cigarette that has chemicals in it, crack. And from there, that opens him up to a life of addiction that he struggled with on and off and off and on. But I'm not going to sit here and say that because he struggled, he didn't know God. Matter of fact, the way he talked about God in the midst of his struggle made me say, I wish I was that brother's pastor. Because he was real. As opposed to people who give you that hallelujah. <laughs> but behind closed doors, man, come on, can we be honest? Because the grace of God allows us to be. Because here's the deal. I don't care whether or not you accept me. All I care about is whether or not he accepts me. So therefore, I can be bold in my brokenness. Man, I'm struggling. Because he's accepted me. I don't care what you think, but that's how we grow in the gospel. There's no condemnation from God. I don't care if man condemns me. And so for DMX, man, I believe I'll see him there. But what Christians do to LGBTQ people judging and putting down, it's inexcusable. But that being said, I still support the biblical blueprint for marriage, sex, and gender identity as endorsed by Jesus and as spoken in the book of Genesis. Disagreeing with someone doesn't mean that I hate them or that I am afraid of them. It just means that I disagree and I see things another way. And Jesus did not call us to be conservatives. He called us to be disciples. He did not call us to be liberals. He called us to be disciples. He didn't call us to be progressives. He called us to be disciples. He, he didn't call me to make Republicans. He called me to make disciples. He didn't call me to make Democrats. He called me to make disciples. He, he didn't call me to make liberals or progressives. He called me to make disciples. And to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus means that there will be times when what we believe and what we are learning and how we live will be in conflict with a sexually distorted society. And we have to make a decision of who we desire to please. Because to please God, we run the risk of offending society. But to please society, we will definitely offend God. According to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, a definitive blueprint for the family and human sexuality was given. Falling into sin marred the image of God in us along with our sexuality. But the reality of sin does not change the veracity of the standard. God created humans to be male and female and he created sex for marriage, which is to be between a man and a woman who are married to each other. God will not change his standard for the family and human sexuality to accommodate you or me. Instead, he expects us to repent and align our lives with his standard. You get that? His standard remains. We must adjust ourselves to it. Yes, he loves you. 
but he will not compromise his word in order to appease us in our compromising positions. When God called Jonah to preach the word, he said, man, go to Nineveh. Homeboy went in the other direction, and a whalogram had to get him. God sent a whalogram, spit the brother back out on land after three days. The Bible says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to Nineveh. Jonah went to Nineveh. What that means is God didn't change his word to accommodate Jonah. Jonah had to adjust his life to accommodate the word of God. My son is here, and uh, when he was younger, I remember getting him a bicycle. And uh, I said, man, I want my boy riding a bike, you know. Now, I grew up riding bikes, huffies and all that kind of stuff, you know. Ten speeds, and, and you have the matching tires. Like if your bike was blue, the, the wheels were blue, and you had the little uh, uh, things on it, you know, the, the, that, that would fly when you go on. You, you put your baseball cards in. I knew about bicycles. Everybody in my neighborhood had a bicycle. Everybody in my neighborhood was working on a bicycle all of the time. Front yard, bicycle turned upside down. You had your daddy's tools. You just work. Stuff don't even need work, but you're just trying to act like you're doing something with them bicycles. That was our culture. So when I got my son a bicycle, I'm like, man, I don't need these instructions. I know how to put a bike together. I grew up putting bikes together. So I put my boy's bike together. Take me about five hours to do a one-hour job, because I ain't looking at the instructions, because I know how bikes go together. But I noticed when I finished this bike, and it's kind of leaning a little bit, because it had them training wheels. But, 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 but I look over here and there's bolts and pieces and stuff that wasn't on the bike. And so I'm looking at the bike and it's leaning and I'm looking at the parts. I'm like, I can't put him on this because he might hurt himself. So I got to take the thing apart, grab the instructions and start all over again. In other words, before my son could go forward, I had to go back to the basics. Because the instructions aren't going to change no matter how much I think I know about bicycles because I don't know more about bicycles than the person who made the bicycle itself. God made us. He knows what's best for us, period. You may think you know more than him. You may think you know how to live your life and, and interpret your own sexuality against what he says in his word. But don't be surprised if you're leaning a little bit. Don't be surprised if you're empty. Don't be surprised if you're more broken than you need to be. I encourage you, go back to the instructions. Go back to Genesis. Go back to the ideal and recognize how he created the human family, human sexuality, and gender distinction. And adjust to him as opposed to expecting him and others to adjust to you. It's not going to happen. Let's pray. Father, I tried. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray your people heard the word. I pray that we'll have a desire to just go back to the beginning. Jesus went back to the beginning, and I thank you for his example. Lord, I pray for the people in our church first who are wrestling with sexuality and identity. Young men, young boys, young girls, young ladies who may be caught up in what's going on in the world and what seems right 
I just pray, God, that you'll bring them back to truth. You'll bring them back to your love, to your word, that they would not try and justify, normalize what they're doing or what they even want to get into. But I pray, God, that they would repent and ask you for help and ask others for help because we all need help. Let them know that they're loved in this church. Doesn't matter what an uncle may have done or said. What matters, Lord, is how much you love them. And in your name, we love them and stand with them. And so, God, I just pray you just touch the people in this church who have questions. May the men and women in this church who have either been in that struggle and made it and are making it that we can help, Uh, those of us who may not know their struggle, but we know our God and we know his word. May we minister well and kindly and humbly to help people. And when it's all said and done, Lord, again, may we, from those who lead this ministry to those who are participants in this ministry, may we never apologize for the truth. May we recognize that if we're really going to follow Jesus, there are going to be people who are going to hear us, and then there are going to be people who hate us. And they will misinterpret our love for hate because we're speaking truth in love. May we be okay with that. May we not try to tickle ears in order to make people feel better about their disobedience. But help us, Lord, again, to stand well on the word in these days. My God. And I pray, Lord, for those who may not know you, Jesus. May they trust you today. May they say, I want to know the Lord. I want to know a love like that. And if that's you, just say, Jesus, I want you. I need you. I turn to you. Come into my life. And if you pray that kind of prayer, just let us know. Send me a message. Send the church a message. Let us know so we can rejoice with you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Was that all right? I tried, y'all. Did you get something out of that? I hope so. I hope so. I can make the notes available. But we're going to be dealing with these things, going back to the book of Genesis, getting some gleanings from that book.